us everyone welcome to the charvak podcast this is your host kushal mehra all right today's podcast is titled hindophobia on social media just to give you guys a brief background today's podcast is basically because um, two of my guests who you see on the screen and hopefully there will be a third one i, I don't know what the third one is but uh, so recent a few uh, i don't remember the exact date but a few weeks ago there was a paper that was uh, published which was called anti hindu disinformation a case study of hindu phobia on social media and uh, it was uh, authored by prasiddha sudhakar john farmer joe finkelstein patwarier leech sim denver rigelman and the and I had come across that paper, so I reached out to some of them, and here we are. So, Prasiddha and Parth, welcome. Welcome. Namaste. Thank you for having us. So, Parth, you've been on the podcast before, but Prasiddha, this is your first time on the podcast. So, we're, how about this? And people might have forgotten you, Parth. <laughs> so, <laughs> it's been a while. This is my third time on, so I'm in a yeah. lucky company. Yeah, so how about this? Let's start with a little bit of you two telling uh, uh, about yourselves to the listeners and the viewers. So, uh, Prasiddha, you can start first and then Parth, you can take it over. Sure. So, again, thank you for having us. Um, I'm Prasiddha. I'm a uh, graduating senior from Rutgers University. I studied computer science, economics, and critical intelligence studies. And I'm also an analyst at the Network Contagion Research Institute, where I began as a research fellow and then became employed with the Network Contagion Research Institute um, as an analyst. And I'm also going to be heading for my graduate education once, uh, now that I'm done with undergrad. Yeah, that's my next plans. And to your audience, namaste. My name is Barth Barihar. I'm uh, currently a postdoctoral fellow at the European University Institute in Florence, heading over there in just a couple of weeks. Um, before that, I was a postdoctoral fellow in the Wallace Institute of Political Economy at the University of Rochester. I did my PhD in economics from Princeton University. And uh, while I was there, I was also involved and president of the Hindu Students Council, which is the largest Hindu student organization in North America. Awesome. All right. So, so when did this idea for the paper uh, come about, guys? So let's start with that. How did you guys decide, let's do this paper? Yeah, absolutely. So I actually began as a research fellow with the Network Contagion Research Institute in uh, around September of 2021, which was when I began um, really learning about Python, machine learning, and natural language processing. Um, as a CS major, there are tons of classes we take on algorithms and, and other you know topics, but none that I've actually took on data science. So this is actually the first time I really got myself into data science and how we can apply that to actual social media data that was out there. And the Network Contagion Research Institute has done papers on anti-Asian hate, anti-Semitism, vaccine reluctancy, and several other topics that pertain to uh, cyber social threats on the internet. And so I kind of got, began getting experience of how to apply NLP, machine learning, and a lot of other uh, technical skill sets to social media data. And that's when I kind of, you know, I had known that there was anti-Hindu hatred on social media, but, you know, I was wondering if there was a way to actually apply quantitative methods to the kind of data that we were qualitatively seeing. So as a case in point, for example, in um, I think it was June or July of 2021, a NASA intern who uh, NASA had tweeted a photo of 
um, immediately began receiving hundreds of hateful comments underneath. And I remember seeing that with me and several other people. And just we were able to qualitative see, qualitatively see, oh, there is a lot of anti-Hindu hatred out there. But was, there, was it possible to actually quantify how big the problem had gotten? And so that's when I really began with this paper is by looking through the data. So this began around September of 2021. And once we began seeing the preliminary data that we were getting and the kind of open source intelligence that we've collected with the kind of genocidal memes that we illustrated in the paper, that's when we knew we had to do something quantitatively about it. And then that's when I talked to Parth, um, who was also part of the Understanding Hinduphobia Academic Initiative. And you know, we all came together to work on this project. So, uh, so how does one, uh, I know this sounds kind of silly, but how does one decide what is a swear and what is a slur? It's very important, right? Yeah, I think what, well, in our report preliminarily, we're looking at slurs because, for example, um, when I came across some of the very openly genocidal and violent memes that were there, we found certain ethnic slurs that were targeting the Hindu community very specifically. So we didn't look at like swear, I mean, of course, like swear words, for instance, come up in our topic networks, but it was mostly these ethnic slurs that were directed at Hindus that we began to notice where, you know, usually with memes, they're always framed as these types of jokes where mm -hmm. people think that, you know, oh, it's it's just a joke, you know, it's not something you should take seriously. But in fact, when we looked at some of the kind of violent imagery that accompanied those jokes, it was clear that this is not just about joking. This is actually about Hindu hatred. So it's it's interesting. Uh, I, when I was reading your paper, I mean, uh, you, even though I know the slur is at me, I found some of them actually funny. <laughs> For full disclosure, like you know, there's, there's this photo you guys share, figure one, the Hindu version of a happy merchant meme titled "Poo in the Loo." I don't know why I just found it funny. I was like, okay, you're hating me. I know you're a racist Hindu hater, but I still can appreciate the humor there. I don't know why people might think there's something terribly wrong in my my brain but i'm just saying okay so you know the one word you guys picked out is very interesting this term pajit you have you have you've used to research i have seen this term being used on hindu twitter yeah yep absolutely so uh, you know this this is uh like it's for example it's similar to other types of ethnic slurs like even sometimes it's adopted as jokes within the communities right uh -huh. Um, but but the context in which we're seeing it on a community like 4chan and the kind of memes that have accompanied on Twitter, we see that it's very specific where white supremacist and Islamist communities are using that slur against the Hindus particularly. But I do I do see like completely see what you're saying. Like it is it has been adopted also by parts of the Hindu community themselves. I think that happens because they don't know what the context is or where right. it's coming from. They see it being used to describe people who are like them, and then they adopt it. Um, in fact, I've seen Pajit being used also to describe uh, Indian immigrants coming to the U.S. on academic forums also. So in, in economics, just to give you one example, we have this forum called Econ Job Rumors, which is a forum where people discuss like who's getting which job where kind of thing and, and kind of you know gossip in the in the community in the academic community. But it also discusses uh, like current events and stuff. And they often refer to Indians as Bajit. Um, of course, I don't know if those people know where that word is coming from. Yeah, it's it's actually very, very fascinating how, so like, so you guys talk about this, 
the 4chan network right so ca- can you tell people maybe you know they not they do not know what 4chan is uh, what, and then we can talk about what happens on 4chan but basically can you go, basically explain because the first time i heard 4chan was on american podcast when they were discussing trump uh, i'll yeah. be very clear that's when i heard the term 4chan for the first time in my life i do not know why it came into my life but it had come but what the hell is 4chan Yeah, so 4chan is basically this platform where they have various boards. Um, the poll board is is the most popular. Basically, it stands for politically incorrect, and it's basically a vanguard for subcultural elements and extremist communities. Um, anything that really comes about the first instance of any kind of meme or slur, it is always goes back to 4chan. Um, there are several papers about this actually. And yeah, 4chan basically is this platform and message and board where people post messages. Um, and the slur Pajit actually first came about on 4chan. Um, and this isn't the case with Pajit, for instance, but like when you look at, let's say, anti-Black slurs or like anti-Asian or anti-Muslim, all of these actually do have roots in 4chan, where we see that the, the usage of these slurs on 4chan then eventually spill over into more mainstream social media platforms. So, for instance, this slur Pajit actually came about in 4chan back in 2014-2015, as a kind of anti-Indian, um, and I want to also talk about the distinctions between how we determine what is anti-Indian xenophobia versus like anti-Hindu. So I'll, I'll get to that as well. But we saw that this slur was predominantly being used on 4chan back in 2014, 2015, once again to basically uh, call Hindus these kind of open defecators practicing open defecation in India and you know referring to Hindus as these disgusting group of people. And the types of memes that were circulated on 4chan were basically about this. But again, 4chan has hatred against all communities. This is not specific to the Hindus in any way. Um, but what we determined is anti-Hindu versus anti-Indian as a whole is that the imagery that accompanied these memes on 4chan were very specific to Hindus. And they weren't just about, let's say, anti-Indian xenophobia or like anti-Brown xenophobia. This was very specific. So, for example, Hindu imagery with the with the tilak, with the bindi, those were the types of memes that were all over 4chan. Also, so they have a dedicated section to us. They like us so much. <laughs> I, I would say that I wouldn't say they have a dedicated section. I would say that whenever there are memes or messages posted on the boards, that when it comes, there are memes and messages posted about any topic under the sun. It's not specifically about Hindus. But what we're saying is that these types of slurs that are targeted towards the Hindu community, it has like uh, really risen on 4chan. So, so if I was to summarize, 4chan seems to me I've never been so full disclosure. I've never been on that platform, uh, and it sounds like I should not be there. Uh, but <laughs> 4chan seems like uh, a platform, something like Reddit in that sense, uh, but it has no moderation and it is Reddit on steroids. Yeah. yeah, I would also, and also, whenever we take a look at some of the violent events and mass shootings that have taken place, oftentimes we can trace the messages back to 4chan's 4chan, where extremist communities have actually posted a lot of their messaging. Um, and again, one thing that we we did find is that two days after we put out this report, there was a man outside of Representative Pramila Jaipal's home in Seattle, who was carrying a gun and was saying, "Go the f back to India," and. When, and again, we're not saying that this has caused that by any means, but what we are saying is that 
when we take a look at the certain slurs that were targeted towards Jaipal on uh, 4chan, for instance, a lot of the themes were very similar to the ones that we had detected in our report. That's interesting. But so, so, uh, and uh, if I was to ask this question, uh, what's the racial breakup of 4chan? Who are oh, the users? Yeah, no, that's a really, really good question. And also, I think this pertains um, a little bit to your question about the Hindu Twitter using these slurs as well. So when we took a look at 4chan um, and did some location analysis of where the users who are talking about these certain ethnic slurs targeting the Hindu community, the vast majority of them are in the United States. So this isn't about like, I don't know, certain uh, Indian people on Hindu Twitter saying this slur. This is very specific people uh, from the US that are making these types of comments. Okay, that's very interesting. So so if I was to say this is, well, uh, a safe assumption is, you know, Hindus are only 1% or something of that sort of the United States of America. So, you know, and most of them have jobs. So I'm assuming uh, they're not spending that much time on 4chan. So I can eliminate them pretty much on 4chan. So, so I guess this is the, the insel land, if I was to say. Uh, I think it's, I, I, I don't, like, we don't have the data I, to I, I tend to use uh, terms like this. I, I, I don't <laughs> need them. No. I would say it has that type of a reputation. Even if we don't know precisely what the user breakup is, it definitely has that reputation. Right. And you can imagine why it has that reputation, especially like you said you found out about 4chan through Trump and like from January 6th, I'm guessing, and all that stuff. So all I know about 4chan is through that. Or see, because what I do is I always try to have an open mind when when I look at the politics of any country. So when I study America, it's not my country. So I try to listen to, I don't listen to Fox News or CNN. I think they're both atrocious, but I go to podcasts. So yeah. <clears throat> if I want to get a conservative perspective, I'll go and listen to a Ben Shapiro. If I want to listen to a you know, left liberal or a progressive perspective, I go and listen to Pod Save America and many other. I'll try to read you know, these uh, portals that lead left or you know, conservative portals. Like I'll go and read a Wall Street Journal. <clears throat> well, the beautiful thing is they're all united in their hatred of Hindus and India. <laughs> very interested. No, no, they, they all dislike India, whether it's Wall well, Street Journal, whether it's uh, them. The, the coverage of India is the only consistent thing that I find across portals. Like if you go to New York Times, you go to Atlantic, you go to Economist, you go to uh, what's that godforsaken uh, thing? Wall Street Journal. And and the other one, Washington Post, uh, my personal favorite. So their coverage of India seems uh, uh, to come from a very distinct slant of what yeah. India should be. But that's mm -hmm. not the subject of discussion today. I want to stick for now. I, I want to ask this question now. What if somebody told you that the usage of the term itself, whether it's uh, and I'll start with this. The usage of the term Islamophobia, Hinduphobia, or or any of this itself at a conceptual level is problematic. So both of you can answer that. So what would you guys say to that? So can you speak to why a person might say that is problematic and then we can respond to it? Yeah. <laughs> So, because phobias are irrational fears, right? And in the case of uh, Islamophobia, I think um, uh, 
this is my view this is not yours so nobody should attach that view to you i think there is no irrational fear of islam i'm an atheist i am scared of islam i don't know how else to say it i mean how can i be islamophobic i say it as far as hindu phobia i think the term what they're trying to say is uh, not hinduism phobia i think they're trying to be hindu phobia but i don't know i, I <clears throat> if somebody was to come to you and say well you know the, these these terms make no sense they, they're just you know they're just part of uh, okay I, i'll give you the 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 right of center american critic uh, yeah. right 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 of center american uh, critic would be well you know what this is all part of the oppression games because if you use the language of these oppression games then islamophobia then hindu phobia basically everybody is a victim then who's not victimized so they basically they'll strawman it to that place now is there genuine hindu hatred yes is there genuine muslim hatred yes is there genuine antisemitism yes so at least you know they came up with a better word it was antisemitism it was not <laughs> i don't know the word sounds different so yeah. i guess they are allowed but my point is that how do you answer to that question because okay full disclosure i have myself never used the word hindu phobia and i don't use it i don't you guys know it we've had talks uh, offline too but i think it's very important to have this discussion because i may be wrong and i'm very open to being wrong but the point is it's very important to chat about it with yeah. you too because i did read your paper most people that that must have shared your paper may not have read it i actually read the paper so, <laughs> so there was yeah. that famous study right they only read the first two paragraphs and then you below that they wrote blah 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 and people still shared the article so it's like that but so is there is there genuine hindu hatred yes but can we call it hindu phobia like uh, when we are you trying to say that hindu phobia is something a very systematized way of hating hindus yes so that's those are really good questions so to kind of start off um we don't think that we're using the language of other groups or or as you put it the oppression olympics or the language necessarily of the left the term hindu phobia has been used to describe this as you put it anti hindu hatred for decades so in particular we're not using language necessarily of the left we're using the language of sardar vallabhbhai patel who used hindu phobia to describe the way in which mohammad ali jinnah was uh fearmongering about the threat that hindus would pose to muslims after um if if it were the case that india wasn't partitioned um we're using the language that was used to describe the way that, in which uh british people thought about hindus as early as 1893 so when we actually um myself and um indu viswanathan dr indu viswanathan when we sat sat down and we wanted to define what this anti hindu hatred actually was we had a really long discussion and debate about which term we should use whether it should be hindu phobia whether it should be um you know anti hinduism was the other term that we really put a lot of consideration into whether it should be anti hindu hatred whether it should be hindu misia you know all these words that i think people use basically interchangeably and the reason why we decided to use hindu phobia was because it is something that already is being used by our community it's something that people recognize what it is and at the base level i don't think one can deny that there is 
hatred against Hindus at a group level. It's not an, at the individual level or because of certain characteristics that any individual may possess. It's because of characteristics that the group possesses, right? And so when we look at your question about whether there is a systematic nature to, to Hindu hatred, we see that there is, right? So, and we see that actually through this paper uh, and many of the tropes that we identify. So we see that Hindus are consistently thought of as dirty, filthy, right? You already mentioned uh, the merchant, happy merchant meme, the poo and the loo, right? There's many other examples of- I still chuckle that I think about it. I think, but I think it's funny also because people actually think that about us, right? Uh, I think that's another reason why it's why it's funny. Uh, I think it's also funny because it rhymes. Let's give them some modicum of credit for some branding. <laughs> But uh, but yeah, like I think I think that there are these these patterns, right? These 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 specific ways of of talking about Hindu people. One of them is again dirty, filthy. Another one is barbaric, uncivilized, heathen. All of that uh, comes very directly from the way in which the British, and in particular James Mill, in his history of British India, talked about Hindu people specifically. And it's important for people to understand Hindu people specifically, not just Indians. So to answer your question, I think that there is a systematic nature to Hindu phobia. And uh, yeah, if you have any more questions about why we use that specific term, I'm happy to answer them. So do you think Hindu phobia is what you're trying to say um, through the term Hindu phobia is actually the hatred of the pagan? Yeah, I mean, in a, in a lot of ways, I think that that's true. Yeah. I think, okay. but I think it manifests in different ways for, for different people, right? So like, there's different ways in which it can it can actually oh there's Joel. <laughs> hey Joel. Joel, you hey guys, sorry about that. I ended up taking my phone, which apparently likes this a lot better than my computer does. <laughs> awesome, awesome. All right, so so Joel, we were just talking about uh, phobia, and I was uh, raising questions about that uh, whether it is legitimate or not. So so yeah, so let us break this down. So what you're essentially trying to say is that Hindu phobia is basically a signifier. If I was to get it correctly, part it is a signifier of anti-pagan sentiments that exist in the larger landscape mm -hmm. that that discusses this and and this this anti-pagan sentiment uh, basically um, stems from uh, a much uh, much more deep uh, lab, you know. But then you have to trace it all the back to you know, the religions that did not like paganism then. I mean, if I was to be brutally honest there. You're saying methodologically that we would, we should try to trace it back towards. Yeah, I mean, there is no other, all roads lead to only one road. If I was to be brutally honest here, because, because what, what see, the, uh, this is my experience. Now, I'll give you two examples. Marx, right? Marx was very critical of the, the British government, right? Marx would criticize the British government time and again. Mm -hmm. And in spite of his criticisms of the British government and, uh, you know, um, he had this famous line. I don't know if you guys have read it that, you know, but these Indians, you know, they don't deserve freedom. They are very uncivilized. That was Marx. Right. This, the same can be the case with John Stuart Mill. Yeah, yeah. He he said many things, but then when it came to India and Indians, he would say, "But these people are uncivilized. 
Now, if you trace the understanding of India, why I'm trying to say is what, what Hindu hatred is, it's a much deep-rooted phenomenon which goes back to the writing on India. Now, yeah. I'm not dismissing all writing on India as illegitimate. Before somebody says, I think a lot of it is legitimate. And a lot of criticisms from the colonialists on India are actually accurate. But there is this, uh, you know, citation loop that has been created over the years where one cites the other, other cites the other, other cites the other, and all of them are citing each other. And, mm -hmm. you know, I guess what my aim is that Hindu phobia should not be just suited to you hate Hindus. I think it's a much if your explanation is it's a much deeper phenomenon, then I understand. And in fact, in the case of Hindus being the easiest targets is because uh, as the famous line, it's not my line, I heard it somewhere, you know, the only good pagan is a dead pagan. Mm -hmm. And uh, unfortunately, this pagan refuses to die. And it, there are a lot of them. So they became the they became the central focus of the entire campaign because uh, when it when it comes to getting hatred about this particular phenomenon, uh, you can be rest assured that when it comes to directing hatred against pagans, you will always have a scenario where basically Hindus will get the major brunt of it. Yeah, no, I think I think you're right that uh, in in essence, this uh, hatred towards Hindus, if we trace back to its roots, it is that we are the last kind of quote unquote pagan civilization that's left on Earth. I think that there's, I think that's undeniable. Basically, um, I think also though a lot of these different uh, countries and a lot of these different identities do tie themselves to Christianity in very specific ways, right? So if you think about even the U.S., until 1906, only free white persons were allowed to be naturalized in the U.S. as, as immigrants. And so there was this huge debate in the U.S. about what a free white person actually means, because there's no definition of white, right? Who is to say who is white and who isn't white? So in 1922, a Japanese-born uh, uh, Japanese uh, person living in the U.S., Takio Osawa, applied for US citizenship, arguing that he was a white person. And at that time, the court said, no, you're not white. A white person is a Caucasian person. But then the following year, this is a case that you might be more familiar with, Kushal, and probably your viewers also, Bhagat Singh Tind, who was from Punjab, applied for citizenship in the US, arguing that he was white because of the Aryan invasion theory. Well, and that's interesting. Can you imagine the, the loop? His his legal team his legal team argued his legal team argued that uh, I am because... white. I am also Punjabi. Look at how white I am. <laughs> so so uh, his legal team argued that because um, yeah because he was a high caste Hindu Aryan, uh, even though he's Sikh, they called him high caste Hindu. Um, he won't want to intermarry with. Uh, the Aboriginal Indian Mongoloid is the term that they used. And therefore, he would be able to assimilate into white society, which also does not want to marry uh, into black. 
right, into the, the Negro society in the U.S. This is the argument that they used. Now, what's interesting is the court rejected this argument saying that you need some common sense parameter for being white. What is that common sense parameter? Two years later, uh, an Armenian person who's living in the U.S., uh, Cartosian, also applies for U.S. citizenship in the Supreme Court. The Supreme Court uses the fact that uh, Armenians, although they live in the Ottoman Empire, are uniquely Christian within the group of all the people living in the Ottoman Empire, and therefore argue that they are white, that they're more likely to assimilate into U.S. society. So, yes, it's true that they that that this is in some ways a projection onto us that we're the last pagan civilization, but it also speaks, I think, a lot to the ways in which our Western societies are constructed in terms of religious-based identity. It's it's not it's more about the person who is making right the Hindu phobic statements or the Hindu phobic assertions than it has to do uh, with us in many cases. So yeah, so I guess if so, you know, the debate or the discussion is more on the lines of what should it be called? I think. Uh, and that, that I can live with. I mean, as uh, yeah. Freud famously said, it is the narcissism of the small differences, right? I mean, yes. Okay. So, so as long as we're both coming from, so if what you mean by Hindu phobia is this deep rooted, deep seated hatred of the pagan, which is, which is deeply embedded, whether people like it or not in, um, in, you know, in, in this, in the larger, larger discourse where, I think they don't, uh, at times, you know what I find? Like even a secularist doesn't mm -hmm. realize it in the West. Yeah. Even even secular discourse doesn't realize it. And, and and this is not to say that there are there is nothing bad that the Hindus do. I mean, they do terrible things. Let me just put it. But to say that this is not a problem is something... Um, that I don't, I, I don't buy. In fact, one of the reasons uh, I always uh, remember, you know, that, that the entire discussion of cultural appropriation also in the West is kind of hijacked now because mm -hmm. I think cultural appropriation is a silly thing too. I mean, if you are going to tell people off that, why are you wearing Indian clothes or why are you doing yoga? You're silly. I think only silly people do that. But I think how Rajiv Ji, Rajiv Malhotra Ji explained cultural digestion, that I think was legitimate. Right. Been, so I'll give you an example. Recently on the Joe Rogan experience, I think it was last month, if I remember correctly. Th this guy was a genuinely nice guy because he actually used the word Yoganitra mm. when he started with. And then he, why I'm giving this example is because it all pertains to this larger rubric of, I'm going to tie it all together before people think... Uh, you know what is happening. <laughs> We're going off topic. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I'll tie it all back. So when people, uh, you know, start looking at different cultures and one of the things that I've observed is that this gentleman on the podcast starts with Yoga Nidra. He uses the word Yoga Nidra and then he gives this entire explanation how he had to call it something else. How he had to call Yoga Nidra lucid dreaming or something else is because if I call it yoga nidra, it sounds like woo. So because of that, and why I'm using this as an example is that this is where cultural appropriation becomes cultural digestion because the roots are disconnected. And this is the difference between the two. 
and uh, you know now to tie it to the but why does this phenomenon exist why is this called woo why is it woo that is the question nobody wants to ask why is vipassana not good enough why do you need um it to be called mindfulness nobody wants to ask that question i am asking that question well it, it's you know it, a lot of times in indian discourse for example there are certain scientific terminologies right do we change them when we so it will be i am speaking a line in hindi and then i'll drop in english words in it uh-huh i'm not changing the word i am not calling it something because uh, now somebody who's a absolute purist in india they do do that they they will use the sanskrit root equivalent that is created by the government of india sanskrit library and they will add it in there average people won't do it i am yeah. average people i'll just drop the english word in the line because i have nothing against it but this could be the same scenario where you're having a line or oh, where are you going xyz i'm going to do vipassana but no they don't say it they say i'm going for a mindfulness retreat mm-hmm. and the question you need to ask is why am i comfortable in using the english language word or the english language terminology easily mm-hmm. at a mental level and it is not there on the other side and that's where you can trace these subtle elements in and it's it's a psychological phenomenon because why is mindfulness not woo and vipassana woo you know what woo woo is right buga buga oh it's all yeah, yeah. that's what i'm trying to say you got you yeah yeah so that's what i'm trying to say and this is where if your meaning of hindu phobia mm-hmm. is based on this then i'm with you yeah of course absolutely and and your observation is very astute and it comes from the fact that these people are or the the people you mentioned are uncomfortable with accepting that they're using a knowledge system that comes from india right that comes from hindus that's at the root of why they are uncomfortable with using a term like vipassana and they want to use a term like mindfulness meditation because it's it's as you said it's stripped away from its roots it it doesn't have any mooring any cultural mooring any religious mooring anymore once you once you once you say that right so i think that's that's a huge part of uh what's going on in the yoga industry right now yeah but like uh, these are subtle things and until unless look why i'm making you explain the term hindu phobia more than anything else is because i don't like these terms most of the time yeah. and i'm actually a very open critic of this like i don't like the term islamophobia i don't like this i don't like phobias basically i don't understand them and it's like you, you can have problems but if you go through the pain of explaining what you mean by yeah. this then i'm with you because people just drop words like anything these days and and unfortunately when when your entire landscape of uh, discourse is uh, to use no other words hijacked by victimhood where everybody is a victim yeah like if everybody is a victim who's the oppressor you know who if everybody's oppressed who's oppressing that that's my problem so maybe this is why i'm trying to put my thoughts all over here is because you know I, i by the way your paper was the one paper i got the maximum emails for that kushal why aren't you discussing it <laughs> thank, you so thank you so much for having us uh, attend can you guys hear me yeah, yeah. finally 
Joel. First of all, so glad to be here. So sorry about being late. I mean, I think I want to make this first part of the conversation very easy for you. When we first began studying the rise in hatred against Hindus online, the first thing I told Prasida is, can we not call this Hindu phobia? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, look, the, the issue is that, you know, we are, um, we're, you know, I really think it's not descriptive. It's really not a descriptive term for what's been happening, you know, in the world of, uh, of anti-Hindu hate, right? I don't think that a lot of this is motivated by baseless fear. I think a lot of it is motivated by baseless hatred, you know? And so I think that anytime you have people hating others based on cultural characteristics, based on objective characteristics, and, and there's no basis for that. It's really, really dangerous, and it erodes trust. The, and, and, it, and it's really, you know, the, that issue is that I, I agree with you that it's not a descriptive term. I would not have preferred to use it. Part of the problem in publishing on this kind of work is that unless you use that terminology, you're not connected to a body of knowledge that anyone knows anything about. And so there's already been a body of knowledge on things like anti-Semitism, which is another really weird word, right? There's already been a kind of body of knowledge on Islamophobia. So we realize that, that while we're seeking to uh, highlight and illuminate these trends that we're, that we're detecting objectively, if we don't speak about that in ways that connect to what other people know about, we're not going to be heard. And if we try to define a new field, it's going to create more arguments for dismissing what we're saying, not fewer. So it's basically an issue of having to pick our battles more than it is an ideological disagreement with the problems of Hinduphobia. We don't like that word either. All right. So, so I guess, uh, so I, I'm more like, so like I, I admitted in the first place that the reason I understand that is because as Freud would say, the narcissism of the small differences. And I don't yeah. want the larger point to be, uh, you know, taken away because of the narcissism of the small differences. Now, I want to ask this very specific question is because even a viewer has asked this question and why I focused on the term Pajit. So this is a question by a viewer too. So it's a research-based question. And I did not know the term Pajit was so important on planet Earth. It's, it's hilarious to me. So regarding Pajit, so a viewer says, I disagree with the researchers. The term actually has been coined by Indians and Westerners started using it after crazy people on Desi Twitter were sending images of, I can't read the rest of the part, XYZ, <laughs> XYZ to women. And when they started highlighting it, you know, Indians started using. So, so who came up with this term? Because that is, that, that, that is a major portion, Prasidha. I don't know who came up with this term. To be very honest, I've been called that on Twitter. Yeah. So, not that I care. I mean, I, I get abused 500 times daily. It's just part of the game. Right. So, as for who came up with this term, um, I would say that really this did come about on 4chan specifically. This isn't about, like we've already addressed before, this isn't about Indians using it. Because like we've already highlighted, yes, there are parts of Hindu and Indian Twitter that have kind of co-opted the same kind of messaging, right? Which we also came across in our analysis too. So yeah, definitely look, like there are Indians who have been using it, but the truth is this did originate from 
non-Hindu and non-Indian communities that were using this as a way of mocking Hindu names in particular. So the whole, like the name Pajit, that doesn't exist. No one has that name, but it's a way of mocking Hindu and Indian names and really using uh, certain ethnic stereotypes and, and racism in a way um, against India, Indians in particular. So it's not about Indians, I don't know, co-opting this term and coming up with it in the first place. Okay, so one question, the most common slur that I have been seeing being used, and it, it you know, it's disgusting that even Indians now use it for political purposes against each other for Hindus. It's the Gaumutra slur. Did oh, you guys, yeah. did you guys look at, by the way, of so-called very, you know, liberal uh, editor of a very famous online portal who goes around saying, oh, I am fighting wokeism. Yes, has also used Gaumitra slur on us. She has used the Gaumitra slur. She has conveniently deleted all those tweets. Conveniently oh, deleted all. Uh, you guys should know who I'm talking about. I'm not going to take the name and make her famous. And uh, because now the podcast has become big, so I will not make her famous, but I have to put it on record. So, you know, there are many famous people. They don't realize that the Gaumitra slur is a very serious, very serious slur against the Hindu. In fact, let me tell you, far more serious than Pajit ever will be. Because Pajit is like a, you know, standard, oh, you are a subcontinental Muppet or something like that. You know, it, it is used at different levels by different people. Basically, what Pajit indicates is a certain geography. It, it is about a geography and obviously India being the dominant uh, player in that geography, because we're the biggest one, right? I mean, if you look at the subcontinent, Pakistan, Bangladesh, and all those places are much smaller, but India is the largest place. And and the funny thing is, they don't even spare uh, Pakistan. They call Pakistan Pajit. I mean, uh, even their slurs don't make sense. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, also, just to go back a little bit to that question is that, um, you know, regardless of where the slur itself started, the fact is that today on the internet, when we look at some of the memes that are associated with that slur, that are openly violent and genocidal like you it's it's very difficult to argue that it's not anti-hindu do, do um, you remember that terrorist who attacked us do you remember the terrorist who attacked us uh, in pulwama in india yeah. you know yeah. what slur he used he oh, used yeah. gaumutra he yeah. used gaumutra yeah no Sorry. yeah actually we have more stuff to come out uh which we won't say at the moment but but no this is something that we did actually come across in the research um as for the magnitude of it, you know, to be honest, I, I think we did actually collect quite a lot of it, but we didn't, um, yeah, we didn't put it in this paper in particular, but it is something that we have actually come across in the research. And a lot of the, like, we have tons of other violent memes, uh, anti-Hindu memes that we have collected, and a lot of them actually do focus on the idea that Hindus are drinking kalpis, for instance. So yes, this is something that we have flagged and we do intend to do more research on. Yeah, please do that. If you guys do that, that would be a great service in informing people because it is horrifying that this slur has been used by mainstream people in Western discourse. And when I say mainstream, I'm literally telling you mainstream. Yes. They just drop it like this and they don't realize the the, the the level of hatred they unleash on the Hindu community. And and in fact, I was surprised that your paper did not cover the whole, you know, Gaumutra bit because I was like, that is like Hindu phobia central. 
the, the, the first thing they, they tell you, in fact, they have now reduced it. Uh, they have now reduced this to saying, but, oh, but Hindus uh, promote uh, cow urine. What Hindus promote is different. And what you intend to say by is different. Because one of the, if you're talking about urine extracts, I don't know how to say this. Literally every community will find it. Nor am I a cow, cow piss drinker, first of all. I am not. The point is not that. If, you, if, if your debate is on urine extracts, which is, why am I even discussing it is not the point. But the point <laughs> is that you use it as a slur. Right, exactly. Yeah. And, and to circle around that, oh, but Hindus talk about it, how is it a slur? A lot of things Muslims talk about. Uh, if I was to be brutally honest here, if I use jihadi on someone, is that a slur or, or not? Is it a slur or not? I think it is a slur, by the way. If I call a Muslim a jihadi, it is a slur. I should not be using it. Any decent human being. Now some silly person will come. The Quran has the word jihad in it. So what is the problem <laughs> if you call a Muslim a jihadi? You know, this is the level of arguments you get these days. Which is why it's very important. And 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 I hope you guys work on this Gaumutra bit. And, and I will show you elites using it. And and why I use the elites as an example is because the Pareto, uh, Parth, you will understand this. Pareto yeah. principle is real. What the people at the top levels of the society say has a far more disproportionate impact and, 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 and far more dangerous impact then what maybe somebody at the bottom of the society in terms of finances and and power say so when you know editors of famous online magazines use the gaumutra slur like this just willy-nilly and just drop it and then just go around being like oh i am a free speech warrior i am against vocism i am against political correctness and i am against bigotry hang on you just use the bigoted slur on a, a huge swath of people Yes. So, uh, uh, do you guys intend to work on it in the future, or or did you even consider it for this paper? No, no, we did consider it. Um, we actually do have that data. We just didn't put it in the context of this paper because there's only so much that we can fit in. Actually, there are tons of other things that we did identify in this paper which are, did not come in. So, yeah, absolutely, we're definitely, you know, we're definitely looking into it. All right. So now, uh, the one thing I found very interesting. Can I share that image if you guys don't mind? Ahead, uh, because, yeah. yeah, so this this particular image, poor Parag, what did they do? To, what did he do to them? So what the hell is this? This one, yeah. This one. What's this? Brahmin, <laughs> Brahmin occupied government? What the, I mean, and who the hell is this guy? Good morning to everyone who survived the Pajit words. I mean, I don't even know these people. And this guy's a blue tech. Yeah. Right. So what we found is that when we looked at the word Pajit that on Twitter, um, there were spikes when Parag Agarwal was actually appointed as Twitter's CEO. And a lot of the themes that came out, they, they basically said, uh, basically community, extremist communities on Twitter did suggest that um, basically Parag Agarwal was purging all of their accounts. There are another um, accounts like, for example, from Groyper armies. Groypers are these armies of trolls who are followers of Nick Fuentes, um, who is a far right commentator. 
And these armies of trolls basically said, we need to show the Pajits who is boss. And sorry, Pajit who is boss. And Pajit in that context was referring to Prague Agarwal, who was going to ban all of their accounts for promoting extremist content. So this, this is what also that blue tick individual was referring to is, oh, did we survive the Pajit purge? Because they had the idea that, that the Pajit, which is Prague Agarwal, which they were referring to, is going to ban all of their accounts. And another thing that we flagged was the Brahmin occupied government, which we thought was particularly important, was because of this white supremacist conspiracy theory of Zionist occupied government. In fact, the 2018 Pittsburgh synagogue shooter also believed in that conspiracy theory, which is the idea of Jewish control. And so yeah. we projected onto the Hindu community to suggest uh, power and influence. Um, Joel, if you wanted to add to that, go ahead. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that made what we were seeing so shocking was that it had such clear parallels to other hatreds. So the Network Contagion Research Institute and the, the lab that I direct at Rutgers, the Network Contagion Lab, we focus on, on threat identification and forecasting in the social cyber domain. And we do that for vaccines. We do it for, you know, reluctance. We do it for financial markets. We do it for, you know, all kinds of different threats, the emergence of, you know, militia cults in the United States. So we have a very domain general set of tools and we are not experts at all in subjects like Hindu phobia. I didn't even know that, that this was a hatred up until. So what I, what I was going to say is that, you know, that these hatreds, you know, that, that what we saw with Hindu phobia was really shocking because it bore so much similarity as a signal to other forms of hatred that we had studied that, you know, this, these kinds of signals are usually an early warning sign that something is about to emerge. That's usually what these signals mean. And this, it, they, they, they bore some similarity to the signals we saw right before the, the shooting um, at Pittsburgh. And so we can see organizing elements within white supremacist ideology and narratives taking a lot of, of, of stock in the importance of Hindus and featuring them in their mythology. So that isn't, that's not invented that, you know, Hindu hatred is becoming memified. It's becoming complex. Shooters are mentioning it. You know, white, white supremacist shooters are mentioning it in their manifestos, Kushal. And, and they're, they're pulling it in with other forms of hatred that are very well studied. Those signatures of the, of the kinds of narratives we're seeing, they're unmistakable, right? And so I don't think, I think this has reached a mutation point. It's reached a point where, we need to bring it to people's attention. And what I learned being up close to this is this, you, you mentioned, you wouldn't dare think of calling somebody who is, you know, any person who's a Muslim, you know, so the worst elements of their religion, but no one has problems saying these, and oftentimes don't even know they're saying denigrating things about Hindus because they don't even know that hate exists. They really have no idea. There's a huge education issue that is, that is at play in this, in this problem. And I think that that their their you know our hope in, in putting the paper forward and is is to use data to highlight the fact that this really is an issue for the platforms, for civil society. And you know, moments after this report came out, we saw attacks on Hindu lawmakers. We saw attacks on, you know, on 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 temples. And that, by the way, that's par for the course of how our threat, cyber social threat identification and forecasting practice has performed in the past, right? We are, we are very often ahead of the curve of real world activities. So my sense is that this is, we're beyond the point of disputing whether or not this exists. We need to be getting the word out 
uh, uh, you know, so that just like a disease, you need to recognize the, the immune system needs to recognize all the components of the disease to manage it. People need to be able to recognize this to, to understand what it is they're seeing and have an interpretive frame for it. That doesn't even exist. So the result is that this goes on in a fashion that's completely invisible. So, so Joel, as a follow-up question, if you don't mind me asking you one, um, I was trying to read this paper and, and I've tried to follow a little bit of anti-Semitism and the narratives about against anti-Semitism in, in the United States of America. Uh, would you be... Um, uh, uh, would I be incorrect to say that I see a lot of parallels between the two? So maybe, Prasida, you guys can take this question. So is there any parallel between anti-Semitic uh, slurs and anti-Semitic attacks? Or or is there a, a trend line that we can draw, like how it starts with anti-Semitic slurs and then it exceeds to anti-Semitic attacks? And uh, because the two communities that uh, have been highlighted in your research... Um, they are known for similar things when it comes to anti-Semitism too. So, yeah, that's actually a good question. The NCRI actually does have a report about anti-Semitism on the internet. Um, and what, what basically researchers found, I didn't personally work on this paper, but I can only talk about what I've, what I've read in the report, is that anti-Semitic slurs, for instance, were at all-time highs during the 2018 Pittsburgh synagogue shooting and, and also... Uh, Charlottesville, I believe, and also during election times. But during election times, it was more conspiracy theories uh, about, uh, I think it was George Soros from what I know. Um, again, I, I don't know because I don't remember the paper off the top of my head, but there is an NCRI paper about it um, and actually does look at the relationship between, um, does look at the relationship between hate crimes against the Jewish community and uh, certain ethnic slurs that are targeted against the community. But also more broadly, there are papers from NYU, which uh, look at the uh, hate crimes against all communities and the relationship between um, that and actual ethnic slurs that have taken uh, place on the internet. Yeah, I was also gonna say, Kushal, you know, we started this podcast, you started it by talking about the happy merchant meme, Pooh in the Loo. And as I think you know, that that meme is a recycled version of an anti-Semitic meme, a very popular anti-Semitic meme, right? Which which uh, targets the the Jewish community for its uh, perceived control over financial resources. So these types of uh, these types of memes and these types of ideas are are being recycled um, from from different. Now communities. I feel uh, now I feel bad for Didn't laughing. Even... No, but. Uh... <laughs> No, not for laughing. They didn't even come up with an original meme for me. Oh, I see. These bloody copycats. <laughs> huh. They don't even hate us enough. I'm just kidding. It's okay. Well, I, I well, didn't get it. Well, I mean, even like we like we've discussing, even the even the um, use of uh, you know poo is not original, right? It comes from the British exactly. slumdog yeah. millionaire. And you know, it's like, it's very... No, and also the other memes from 4chan, they're not original either. It's a passing the note meme, for instance, which is the idea of giving a Hindu person toilet paper, right? Because they're huh? just... Yeah, and that's a, from passing the note. That's not original either. All of these are recycled hate. Yeah, so uh, so just to explain the the meme that Prasidda is, is talking about, in, in, in our paper, there's a meme where uh, one student in class is passing a note like you would in class, right? To the student, <laughs> this is the student in front of her, and she takes the note, and it's a it's a toilet paper for and the it, Hindu. And it's a Hindu person with a big bindi, with looking at basically being given toilet paper because Hindus are dirty and gross. I don't even feel offended by it. 
like, yo, I will never use the toilet paper as an Indian. Go screw yourselves, man. <laughs> it's true I mean, that bidets, I, are, bidets are better, right? They yeah. Better, they're I mean, actually come on. Better. I mean, who's this crazy person? <laughs> they need to maybe do something. <laughs> <laughs> and this podcast is officially off the rails. We are talking about bidets. <laughs> no, okay. This is insane. So they actually think this is a problem? That we don't use toilet paper. <laughs> well, Kushal, it's a it's a proxy for Hindus being dirty, right? Yeah. That's that's the that's the that's the key thing is exactly. that the the idea that we don't use toilet paper <laughs> is a proxy for the fact that we're dirty. No, and it's thing. also used as a justification to eradicate Hindus. So in in our paper, one of the the memes that we found was a beheading meme by Islamist communities. Um, basically calling for the beheading of Hindus. And actually that, that meme is from a video, a very graphic video involving Pepe the Frog. If you want, you can pull it up. Um, it's, it's with all of the other violent memes in that paper. And it's basically used. Oh, one of the, the things that they had written in, in the video, I believe I was either in the caption or actually featured in the video itself. Um, yeah, scroll down. Yeah, you see the shut up dog one? Yeah, that's actual. That's basically the idea of Hindus being dirty is now used as a justification in meme-like fashion to do things like this. And 4chan allows this? This isn't on 4chan. This is on Twitter. This is literally on Twitter. That has the Twitter allowed this. Twitter. This was on Twitter. All four of those memes were on Twitter. Yeah, you also saw the meme of the uh, Nazi, uh, right, Pepe the Frog gassing the Hindu man. That's, That's on Twitter. That was found on Twitter. Well, so much for Twitter. Right, and so much for the for the Pajit, the one who's, who's uh, you know, crushing Virgin, all the yeah. accounts, right? I mean... All of this is openly on their platform. No, nothing, as far as I know, has been done to those accounts that have been disseminating this type of material. Whoa. That's interesting. I did not know that Twitter is fine with beheading threats. I did not know that. Did this... Okay, so I'm thinking of what what could be the other criticisms that could be laid down uh, at you guys because look, nobody else is going to do that with you guys. So I'm going to be the only one and let all the abusers come to me. Uh, okay. It's much, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I much rather I'm used to being abused, so it's okay. I've become a pro at it now. So, so if somebody was to say, but, uh, you know, that's what social media is for every community. Um, uh, you can go and check, uh, okay, Prasiddha, you have a double whammy. You are a woman. I mean, I'm assuming you identify as a woman. So I, I, I apologize if I have misgendered you. Um, but uh, women on Twitter or social media in general, are exposed to a litany of third-rated private messages, whether it's on Facebook, whether it's on DMs, and now I'm being serious. So yeah. whether it's homophobic slurs, whether it's uh, transphobia, it, it there is real transphobia too. Mm -hmm. uh, despite my personal views on what uh, gender is and isn't. Um, and... And there are other communities that there is anti-Muslim hatred. So the point is that maybe social media, 
like did you guys not think because i read the paper and maybe this is my one critique if if you guys don't mind of course that i think you did not focus enough on the medium that the medium and the algorithm that designs the medium because you guys are you know basically prasita you guys are data people you're looking at data you're looking at trends and why is that trend coming was something that i did not find in the paper is because facebook twitter everybody they just want clicks and hatred drives clicks and at the fundamental core you know i, I am the only dummy who's running this podcast and refuses to do clickbait and my subscriber story is is there for everybody to see because i refuse clickbait i refuse click i've had cases where you know somebody would want to come on my podcast and i and i mean it and they would say oh this title is not clickbait enough and then they would not come on my podcast because i refuse to do that i'm trying to fight the trend and setting the example by my own self i'm not saying i'm perfect but i'm trying so why did you guys not look at the larger picture of the algorithm itself that incentivizes all kinds of hatred all the time basically that's the only way to get social credence on social yeah. media i think to be honest it goes a little bit beyond the scope of the project itself because i think we could write an entire paper simply dedicated not this isn't even about hindu hindu hatred for instance this could be about how how does the youtube algorithm or the facebook algorithm or instagram algorithm um you know depending on the access that we actually get at looking at how the algorithm itself works um it goes beyond the scope of the research i do think it's absolutely possible i think um a few years ago when i was writing this essay about terrorism in the 21st century i came across this paper um which basically talked about how the uh i think it was the mosque uh, christchurch mosque shooter in new zealand was radicalized on youtube um i i don't remember the paper off the top of my head but see like there have been studies that have been done about this i think it's definitely possible for us to do a study depending on how much access we get to really looking at the algorithms themselves but just with the kind of scope of this project it's probably not possible Yeah to to answer your question at a philosophical level also uh Kushal um you know I take your point that social media amplifies a lot of hatred and that hatred sells on social media conflict sells on social media I think all of that is is yeah. true and and people have written studies and identified this it's something that's well understood but I think also all of the examples you mentioned misogyny uh you know homophobia transphobia just because those things are online it doesn't mean that those things also don't happen in the real world right they i do. think oftentimes uh, oftentimes like what we see on social media is a reflection and an amplification of what already exists out there in the real world people are anonymous they have the ability to express really what is at the core of their heart right what they're really thinking yeah but honestly i think real world is far better than social media i think social media just brings the worst out of everyone and i agree I what it is it's i agree but it is within them right it is still within them and still there's going to be some people who even in the real world they are able to reach that threshold yep. where they don't need anonymity to make these comments or to take violent action based on these beliefs so, which but joel was also uh, talking about yeah, so, so the one thing i would accept is that what social media has done is that you know previously it was harder for uh, 
for the the crazy cuckoo ones to find a community yeah and now it's not so that's yeah. what it has done it has enabled and made them in a very weird way or like previously if you would have you know let's say you would have a group of white supremacists or you would have a group of muslim haters or you would have a group of hindu haters they were you know they were spread across the geography they were like 10 here two there three there and they were just you know hating in their own houses in their rooms living their lonely incel life which is usual. most of them are men also by the way most of them a disproportionate proportion of these people are usually men i don't know why but most of them are men i don't know what's wrong with our uh, the men the men but uh, there something men need to figure out but now what has happened is the same people in those geographies now have platforms where they accumulate their hatred but to be very honest if i was to look like uh, my experience is a particular section of hindus that hate me i have dedicated set of hindu haters so what what i have noticed is that they create a lot of accounts they try to amplify their noise by creating a lot of accounts but beyond that if you look at the language pattern and you, you figure out there are not more than 100 of them i'm being very honest here but they create so many accounts and they amplify the hatred which is why i think maybe in the future prasidha a project that you should take up on a very serious level and maybe work with folks like tristan harris and others you know who who talks consistently about the moral and ethical side of social media companies i mean basically he was he's trying to be an ethicist for social media i think i would really appreciate if you guys pick up this this project and look at how social media tries to skew reality mm-hmm. skew skew reality that the world is burning if the world is burning then why does the entire data say something else like poverty is reducing people's lives is becoming uh, lives are becoming better everything is going on the opposite direction if you look at government data irrespective of whether you like people or not whether if, if whether you know it could be you could be a democrat and look at the record uh, during the republican reign you could be a republican and look at the record in the democrat reign basically life is becoming better we are becoming lazy we are becoming obese and we are saying things are so bad and because our reality is narrative is shaped by social media having said that it doesn't mean that there is no real world hatred there is real world hatred and sometimes these patterns do show themselves in real world like in the case of the synagogue shootings now now what scared me is what joel said and maybe this could be our last discussion and how do you two feel as american hindus that he feels that these spillovers now eventually could happen just like in the case of the jewish community mm-hmm. for the hindu community also so my last question to you would be how do you feel about that what <laughs> well i've um so i'll tell you kushal in 2016 so this is what 6 years ago now i visited a goshala cow sanctuary in pennsylvania and we did seva there we helped uh the person who was managing the goshala with uh you know all the work that he needed to do and the reason why we had gone there was because uh just the previous week someone had put a severed cow's head on the doorstep of this man who's a hindu he was a krishna bhakt iskan person so 
this idea that hatred will spill over and affect people in our community is something that I've already experienced and seen firsthand. We've also seen it in the news. We've seen attacks on Mondays, uh, in Kentucky, the BAPS Monday, in New Jersey also, a place which, you know, we tend to think is more liberal, has more Hindus. There's a lot of anti-Hindu hatred in New Jersey. Um, so this is something that we've seen. Now, you're right to suggest that this hasn't reached that level yet where we see it happening with a lot of frequency. I think that's something that we are concerned about. And one of the reasons why, you know, we are so passionate about this project is that we want people to see and understand what is going on before it happens. Before we reach that stage where we are seeing frequent attacks on our community. Mm -hmm. Well, you know what? I, I hope and, and I wish, I can't say I pray, Nastik. I don't know. <laughs> so, uh, I hope and I wish that uh, it never happens with any community. Uh, unfortunately, the probabilities of that are uh, less. Uh, I mean, one or one day somewhere down the line, we might have a crazy person doing something crazy to the community. All I can tell to the community is we should be uh, alert. We should inform authorities as much as we can as good uh, citizens. And also, maybe at the end, I would say, I don't know if you two will agree with me. I think at the community's end, I think communication matters. I think we've yes. failed as communicators. And I'm very happy that, you know, you know, young young people, I'm old fart, 41 years, look at my beard. So, <laughs> so you, know, you know, young kids like you are coming up and are trying to raise this voice in a systematized manner. Like I said, I will not quibble with the word Hindu phobia while I will never use it personally most of the times. But I, I appreciate what you two have done. And Joel, unfortunately, you know, Joel had technical issues. It's just one of those things. And we could sort it out. And I, and I, and I applaud you. And I wish you all the best. And I look forward to your future work. So thanks a lot for coming. And thanks a lot for this paper. Thanks a lot for inviting us. Thank you. All right, guys, we will wrap today's discussion up in the description of the podcast. You will find the Twitter handles of Prasiddha, Parth, and also, if I remember the uh, the name correctly, NCRI, right? Yeah. NCRI. And, and also, you'll find a link to the paper. If you are one of those useless people who has not read the paper, please go and read the paper. It is not that big a paper. I think the PDF file, as I have opened it, is 19 yeah. pages. And... and uh, I'm assuming the last two pages or three pages will be references. So it's not more than 15 or 16 pages. Go and read it. And if you have any technical uh, quibbles with them, their methodology or anything of that sort, you know, you have their Twitter handles. Go and ask them questions. Maybe they can answer them uh, over there too. And don't abuse. If you want to <laughs> ask questions, ask questions. Other than that, if you want to support me and the Charbuck podcast, you know the drill. You can go on YouTube, you can subscribe to the channel, you can like my videos, you can comment there, you can abuse me. You know, abusers on YouTube help, my channel goes up, so please abuse me. Thank you very much. And I don't care because I don't read them anyways, but keep abusing. So uh, other than that, please become a member on YouTube or a subscriber on Patreon. You can buy the Charbuck Podcast merch or send your donations through UPI. I will see you guys next time. Until then, namaste, take care, bye-bye.